All right, guys, welcome back to the How Can You podcast, where we dive deep into the minds of entrepreneurs, figure out how they got where they are, so then you can help me do the same thing. So today I'm here with Patrick. Uh, he's co-founder of a very cool SaaS product. Um, I'll let you kind of describe it. Sure, yeah. Um, so Pitchlane is a software product for basically for cold email and for cold outreach. We create personalized videos at scale. Oh, yeah. So there's a very popular strategy of outreach, which is like creating looms. Yeah. If you're like reaching out to people who are trying to get more customers, but it takes a long time to sort of sit there and record a loom for each person. So what we do is we automate that at scale. Mm-hmm. So you'll like record a video once and we kind of make that template and yeah. translate it into all the different websites that yeah of the people that you're reaching out to. So it's like almost like it seems personal, but it's not exactly personal. Um, it's personal in that what you see in the video is yeah. personal to you yeah. as the prospect. So yeah. you'll see either your website or your LinkedIn profile or like any other like link basically that's personal to you. Mm-hmm. But then the actual video is the same video. Yeah. But, you know, you can be quite creative with it and you can make it sound really relevant. And, you know, if you're, let's say, you're like videographers or something like that, mm-hmm. I can probably say, okay, if I've got a list of a hundred videographers... I can see a generic pitch that's going to sound quite relevant. I can probably talk about two or three different pain points that videographers have. And then it gives the appearance of being personalized. So you save a lot of time and it gets way higher engagement than just text. Yeah, because like personally in my outreach right now, most of my outreach is through the DMs. But what I'll do is I'll actually send up the talking video. So okay, just because like the, the videos, the looms, whatever, they're so good for like, converting someone yeah and, um so, so what do you do in the like what do you say yeah so the my outreach works in like three steps so the first one is like a message that's just like uh replying to one of their posts or their, whatever in this like saying um hey like i saw this post come up on my recommended like um i think that you're killing it um this post resonated with me because and then something from the video okay. and then once they respond to that i'll send a video and be like hey i also think that I got talk, a talking video. Hey, I think that if you did this, this, and this, you could improve your accounts, you can improve your uh, conversions, your client, whatever. Um, and then if they respond to that, I'll send another video. It's like, yeah, and if you want to hop on a call, see all the things that you could also do. Um, and maybe if I can help you, that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's still quite an intensive process, right? It is. Like, obviously, it's super personal. I know it clearly works for you. Yeah. But like you've got to sit. There's probably a lot of time spent doing that. It does take a lot of time. And that's why I do like like if they don't respond to the first because before I was doing like boom 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 three, but if they don't respond to the first one, then I won't bother doing the second two. Yeah. Um, it, but yeah, so I think we'll get back into the product a bit later. But what I want to start off with is kind of your early years. What made you tick as an entrepreneur? What made you uh, yeah go the 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 path that most people aren't taking um because being an entrepreneur is not easy um so yeah talk to me about that sure um so i guess my journey uh i didn't start off i think from a from a young age i wasn't really software developer like what i first wanted to do in life was be a pilot so that was my thing up until about 13 14 years old um and through that i found i got into basically coding Mm -hmm. because i used to play flight simulator I was obsessed with Flight Simulator 2004, if anyone's a, a fellow flight simmer. Um, I was completely obsessed with it, and I wanted to like mod the game. I wanted to make modifications, and then I kind of found that you had to learn to code. 
and so through that ended up like going and pursuing this career in software development yeah um and so yes i learned to code when i was about 12 years old wow. um that's when i first started and then from there i just sort of like had different projects tried to sort of like experiment with things um so at one point um obviously you're doing instagram you'll be familiar with a while ago that was like follow unfollow tools mm. so like i made this thing that would like follow accounts to try and grow your accounts um that was a long t- a long while back of course instagram blocks all that stuff now yeah um so it's just stuff like this i did like smaller projects um and i i kind of from the very beginning like i taught myself to code and i always kind of wanted to do something with software i wanted to sort of b- build that in um and i think my original sort of idea was okay have a career in software development go down the typical routes you know go to university get a software job uh high paid tech job go to silicon valley and then maybe one day start something um but didn't work out that way (laughs) um and yeah things things definitely changed because yeah i think life life takes you in different directions and a series of events happened that kind of made me realize actually i should just try it sooner mm. there's no reason to put it off yeah and you know there's people in these high-paid tech jobs that they're to be fair the term like golden handcuffs mm. and it's kind of like they they are they don't enjoy their job but they're just paid so well they can't leave and kind of you get to this point where you're like stuck mm. and you can kind of see where the where the future is and it's obviously like it's a nice life still yeah but i think something awoke inside to me that was like nah this isn't this isn't it like i've i want to do something else so do you know what that was yeah so i think um so when i started in like i'd finished school and then i went to university and at the same time as that i got an internship so i was still in the kind of mind of go get the tech job so i got an internship a couple of years before people typically do um so i was super young i was 17 and i joined this tech company um and i was viewed as the 17 year old Mm. let's put it that way yeah i was kind of at at least i got the perception of like okay people were thinking he's here to get his coffee and even though this company is actually quite progressive and quite like incorporated um us into like as interns into the company's operations quite um quite well there was still in my mind this thing of like okay i'm not going to be taken seriously because of my age (laughs) and there was this sort of like mental block and i kind of knew i'd worked on projects myself i'd worked on these things and i knew that i could do things but i wasn't going to be able to get my full potential because layers of management corporate bullshit you know hierarchy and and all the rest and even despite it being as like a supposedly flat structured company, I got this this impression. So then I moved on to startups. Tried to start up uh, and felt the same way. Felt like it was always going to be, oh, you're you're young, um, so therefore we can't really give you any authority. We can't really give you any power to make decisions. Um, and so I think entrepreneurship, probably the fact that that bothered me made me predisposed to be an entrepreneur but also entrepreneurship is the route that allows you to to do that mm-hmm. and to really have agency over what you're doing yeah oh. so you kind of you like are you, you you're dipping into the path that you thought that you should go to go to school and get a job but yeah. through 
through going down that path, you realize like this isn't for me. And there's kind of like a like an authority thing of like uh, you don't want to one maybe you don't want to be told what to do. You want to be able to do what you want to do. You know, it's yeah. just like all these different things. I think it's just like having agency over what you're what you're doing day to day. Yeah. Like obviously you have to compromise and you have to bear in mind different people's needs and what the rest of your business needs from you and your customers need from you. But at least you get to make the decision mm-hmm. and you can say, okay, if I think something's bullshit, I'm going to say this is bullshit and it will carry something yeah. and it's not it's the entire, yeah, yeah. you know. For sure. So you, after this startup, did you, is that when you first started, like you jumped into entrepreneurship? So I would say it was before that. Um, so I kind of had, as I say, I kind of worked on several projects yeah. throughout my time when I was like in university and like working yeah. at the same time. Uh, I kind of had things on the side where I would, I tried that we tried at one point at a, a co-founder actually, um, we were going to build a platform for like short-term recruitment, mm-hmm. um, which didn't work out for a multitude of reasons. Pick your co-founders wisely is, uh, is what I learned from that one. Um, but it was again I, I was obviously going to do the, the technology side of it and at the time i was like oh no well you know i'm not really i'm not really good at sales i'm not really on that side of things like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that like i need to get a co-founder to to make it work um and i think to some extent that still remains but what happened i think after the the startup was i just said okay i'm gonna go for it and an idea presented itself at the time uh, which can maybe going to it was not pitch lane actually it's the one before um sure okay so it was um it's such a niche thing but it's uh an automation tool so it was still an outreach but it was an automation tool for reaching out to people in german-speaking countries um and basically there's this platform which was a rival of linkedin in germany called zing so they are about 50 50 market share at this point um and it was like automating messages for recruiters. So recruiters would want to reach out to candidates to get them jobs. And they needed a automation for that. Obviously, there's lots of automation out there for LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but there's nothing for this Zing platform. So I uh, I ended up building this. And it was actually, so my my girlfriend that was a recruiter and her company just sort of got this contract with Zing. Um, and they needed a way to make it work. They were obviously using automation tooling on on the other on LinkedIn, but they weren't able to do it with Zing, and so they weren't getting the results out of it. And I said, okay, this is where the entrepreneurial brain kicks in and goes, okay, there's a problem here. Someone's not doing it. I can solve it. Let's try it. Yeah. So I built the sort of initial version in, I think, two weeks. Um, it worked great. They all loved it. And from there, it was just sort of adding more and more features to it. And from there to quitting my job was about a month, a month and a half. And I did that with definitely not enough revenue to support myself. <laughs> but just knowing that, okay, if I had full time to think and focus on this, that I can that I can try and at least try and figure it out. And if nothing else, it's a learning experience. Fuck it. Yeah. You know? I like that. Yeah, it's, like, it's the learning experience. Fuck it. Because you could always probably go back to what you're doing before. Um, or at least a variation of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So things obviously seem to move really quickly within that business. Mm-hmm. And then did you did you end up abandoning it? Did you sell it? What did you do with that one? So I still have it. Okay. Um, it still runs. I would say it's not my number one priority. 
Um, I don't think that would be a controversial statement to anyone. <laughs> it's it's not my number one priority. We still keep it. We've still got some very loyal customers that love it, um, and I keep it going for them. But um, obviously, Pitchline became the the main business. Yeah. But interestingly, the way that I met Ryan, which is my co-founder of Pitchline, was through Efficient. Was through this business. Oh, really? Because I obviously at that point had like put founder in my title on LinkedIn, and I was like. I'm in SaaS space and I started to kind of do some engagement around that. And Ryan reached out to me on LinkedIn saying, wanting to connect with fellow SaaS founders. And uh, if you ask him, those, we've done some other podcasts together. He was like, it's the worst campaign I ever ran to reach people. Like, gee, thanks. <laughs> but, um, from that, like he reached out to me on LinkedIn and we kind of started talking. And at first, the idea that he had of like personalized videos I was like, okay, this could be a really good feature for my product. And so maybe we could do an integration of some kind. Um, and that's kind of how it started. And it, I very quickly found out that Ryan was doing it, but was doing it very much as a service, like very manually. He was like doing the videos himself and just like selling it as what would be a software product and wanted it to be a software product, but was kind of like struggling to execute on that mm. because it's like never written a line of code. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of found each other at the right moment when for me with my SaaS, it had kind of reached a point where I kind of explored as much of the market as there was with it and was struggling to grow it. And Ryan had a idea with a fantastically huge market, but not the software side to actually execute on it. So we both met each other at exactly the right time and the rest is just to be. That's awesome. So it's like you guys each complimented each other of what you weren't good at and what the other weren't good at. Yeah. And just kind of like fit in very nicely. Correct. That's yeah. cool. So talk to me about, because I've talked to Ryan about this as well and you just mentioned it, about picking your co-founder. So obviously it... Yeah, we're stuck with him now. It's a shame, but... <laughs> Ryan, if you're watching, Ryan, don't listen. <laughs> um, yeah, so like obviously it's it's super important to choose the right co-founder, and same thing goes for like romantic relationships. These type of things. Now, how do you choose the right co-founder, and how do you know if someone isn't the right person? Oh, the million-dollar question. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, I was I will take back anything I said about Ryan. Like Ryan's a fantastic tender. Um, and we've. I think it was very clear early on, just from speaking to each other, that we were on the same wavelength. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's difficult to describe. I think you, you either click with someone or you don't. It's really similar to dating, I think. Like, you either click with someone and, like, they get you, you get them, or you don't. But then once you click, you've then got to say, okay, well, is there actually a fit here in terms of business? Like, is there actually something that we can do? And we're not just, like good friends yeah. who also happen to run similar businesses or whatever. Like, what's that next step? And I think um, it's having complementary skills and it's just like seeing that you can trust the other person. It's really difficult to see that before you do it, though. That's the thing. Like, I think a lot of times it is just a case of try it and have protections or structures in place if it doesn't work out. Yeah. So... That's, that's the best advice I have on the afraid. It's like, yeah. go with your guts. And then once your gut's telling you to do it, then just check it rationally as well. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, yeah, you just kind of have to try and learn. And 
yeah eventually like if something doesn't work out eventually well with someone else or whatever exactly if you if you're playing the infinite game you can never lose right 100 <laughs> percent. so talk to me more about so you you, you met ryan mm-hmm. and then you guys obviously complement each other and then um how does you go from okay he has an idea but he's not executing very well to okay I can execute it and then like ultimately building it and putting it out to the market. How did we do that? Um, so originally it was, we kind of agreed that in exchange for me being able to integrate it into my SaaS, that I would kind of build the first version of it um, and do it on like a revenue share basis. That's kind of how we started things off. And it was just really in that process of obviously trying to map out, okay, what does it need to do? What does it need to look like? What are the sort of minimum set of features that we need to be able to to give this to someone? Um, in that process of doing it, we obviously looked at competitors and looked at what solutions were already out there. And it transpired that there was this thing called Pitchlane, which was kind of like an abandoned project. So originally it wasn't called Pitchlane. Originally the company was called Swada, which it's like... Another thing is, don't name your company after a Greek god. <laughs> don't do it. Everyone will be confused. Um, but yeah, so initially it was going to be a separate thing. And we found that Pitchlane, which was an already existing software, had been kind of abandoned by its current or its previous owners. Um, and so as luck would have it, at the time I was living in Germany, I was living in Berlin. And the previous owners were also in Berlin. So I actually met up with them. Um, and we spoke about it and they were like, yeah, look, you know, we've, we've gone into other projects. We went and raised venture funding for a different thing. So we've not got time to look at this anymore. Now, this was, I would say about 60 to 70% of the features that we wanted were in it already. And so it would have shortcutted things hugely Mm -hmm. and we're like, okay, shit, should we do this? And we're at a point of like, we've just met each other like a month ago on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. to the point of we're going to acquire a SaaS product together, um, which was a, it was a nerve wracking thing. I was like, shit, what am I doing? What if this guy's like, what if this guy's a con artist? <laughs> um, it was one of those moments where you kind of go, I'm going to have to take a risk yeah. and I'm going to be okay if it doesn't work out, but you've got to press the button and you've got to do it yeah. and not look back. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, like if you're not afraid of the next step, you're not pushing yourself hard enough, I don't think. Like, waiting to, like, press the button on transferring the funds to buy um, the original pitch line. Growth moment. Finger shaking, like, compl- unable to think. But then just having that resolution of going, you know what? This is what entrepreneurship's about. Mm-hmm. You've got to take a risk. The upside is huge. The downside is limited. It's mitigated. Let's do it. Yeah. And then uh, we got it. Yeah. Within about two to three weeks of that going through, I had sort of tweaked and added the features that we needed to kind of initially launch. Um, and then we launched it out there to the world. And within three months of that, we crossed 10K MRR. So that's crazy. So obviously, I mean, it, it really helped you guys that there's already that product that was kind of abandoned. Yeah. So that, like you said, shortcut a lot of the time. Correct. Um, did it also kind of give you uh, understanding of, okay, what's not working? What's what's like through that product? Yeah. So there were some things obviously with it 
the the original version of it was built for like you could make 50 videos maybe um but we obviously want people to be making thousands of videos mm -hmm. and so when you start to get multiple people trying to make thousands of videos at the same time the infrastructure behind it just wasn't holding up so that was the bit that we had to redo is like the actual part that generates the videos so that's almost been entirely recreated mm -hmm. um and that was that was possibly the the most like stressful time of, of the business was like november december time last year when everything was breaking like people would be trying to render videos and like we would wake up like intercom supports and there's 30 people who can't render their videos and i'm like okay shit let's start with one who's paying us the most right start with them you with that one first <laughs> like, yeah. go down the list um so i think that was the, the learning point from that was like obviously we got the user interface and most of that's the same mm -hmm. um but obviously the whole back end of it we pretty much had to redo mm -hmm. um from doing that obviously we learned how to make it so that it will handle any scale and we also learned obviously what didn't work about the ui so we've made some changes mm -hmm. but yeah you're right it was a huge advantage to start from something that someone had already built mm -hmm. um yeah, it, it takes so much of the thinking of like, how am I going to structure this? It yeah. just removes it. So do you have, is there any from your product, like crazy success stories of people that have used this for outreach and gone from invest to yeah. something? So the, the one that most impresses me is we got a, we got something through our support chart once it was like, guys, I love this. This is amazing. I just launched a cold email campaign and within six minutes, I booked two calls already. <laughs> And I think his campaign, like most people see a doubling of their response rate. Mm -hmm. So a typical cold email campaign is going to get like 2%. If you're 2% would be good for like a text-based cold email campaign. We are seeing people that are getting 4%, 4 to 6. The best we've ever gotten is like 7. Um, but that's obviously because we're like fine-tuning things and we're like, we're studying this stuff. We're studying how to make this yeah. really work. So. So does it set up with like email chip or like how does it work to actually send out these email campaigns? So obviously we don't do the sending part ourselves, but you can use like cold email tools. So the one we recommend to use is called smartleads.ai. Um, there's another one called Instantly. Mm -hmm. Instantly is like the more common one. Um, Smartleads newer, but it's like very quickly becoming the number one. Um, and what these tools do is they allow you to send rather than just sending from like one email inbox. You would buy two or, th or maybe five domains, and then you'd put two email inboxes on each one of those domains. So, like, if you've got pitch lane, it'd be like try pitch lane or like get pitch mm. And then you have like different email accounts on those. And what that allows you to do is A, you can send more because you can only send a certain amount of emails per day mm. without getting blocked. But also, if a spam filter decides to go, okay, well, this domain is now considered spam then you've got another four and you can still continue to send. So that's the main advantage to using those kind of tools. Yeah. And we obviously like you can export the videos out of Pitchline and then you import those contacts into the sending tool. And we just like, we give you the HTML codes mm -hmm. to put in the email and it looks like a video when it plays and it's yeah. got their website and everything in the background. So how's it like on it? Yeah. So how does it work for you? Like you set up in the, you put in all the contacts. Yep. And then you put in their their website or their like instagram account yeah exactly and then basically the way that it's coded or however it is it kind of goes and like screen records that exactly okay and like scrolling down so oh, yeah if you you can set up with the pages that you want on your on your pitch so you can have it 
you can start on their website then you go to your website and maybe you show them like a screenshot with a case study or like some client testimonial or something mm-hmm. um you can really customize what you show in the in the video yeah but yeah you upload a list of the the contacts the leads that you want to reach out to and then obviously you've got like name email address website yeah and we just look at that website column of the of the spreadsheet that you yeah. uploads and we use that as the background very cool so is there possibilities to um enter or to make something like this buffer social media platforms so like for me like my dm outreach Ooh. is there a way to do this within the dms or is it the automations within instagram and the blockage between those so as far as i know instagram's quite strict on automation yeah. right so the the thing you would have to do is you would have to use one of those automation tools and then you'd have to always like make a pitch lane video with instagram profiles and then give that to your automation tool and that would then do the same mm-hmm. thing um we've not got anyone doing that i'll be perfectly honest with you mm-hmm. because instagram is so strict on yeah. on this sort of stuff yeah but you can you could also do it manually like if you wanted to you could have a pitch lane campaign and you just sort of add individual profiles and then you just like take the link and send it on instagram yourself mm. that could work but obviously it's a little bit more time consuming because yeah. you still have to yeah you still have to do it interesting yeah big yeah instagram automation they hate them they they really do yeah uh, it seems anything that like could ha- make a user have a negative experience they just like time not allowed yeah yeah so I heard also within cold e- so I'm not super familiar with cold emailing, right? Um, within cold emailing, you have to warm up accounts. Correct. So is that something that the smart leads does? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So all the main sending tools will do that for you. Yeah. Um, people out there listening, warm your domains for at least two weeks. Mm. Don't send any emails for two weeks after you purchase your domains. Yeah. Okay. Or else they'll just spam. Spam. It will get flagged as. Yeah, yeah, it will get blocked, and you're not gonna you're gonna burn. You you just paid for nothing. Like yeah, burning accounts. Yeah. So how does your guys' pricing structure work with Edgelight? So we have like different pricing tiers based on like the number of videos that you want to do. So it's a subscription per month. Yeah. But it like it gives you video credits. Yeah. So you can get let's say we've got like a 500 video credits, and we've got a 2,000 credits and a 10,000 credits. Yeah. Um, and if you don't use any of the credits this month. You can use them like whenever you want afterwards. Yeah. They roll over. Yeah. Okay. So one credit is one video. Or... Correct. Okay. Like one, like one video for elite. Yeah. Not like one campaign. Yeah. But... yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's cool. Very, very, very cool. So I think I've been like trying to fine tune my outreach strategies, and I think pitch lane is definitely something that I'm going to integrate. Um, because yeah, like I said, I'm not familiar with cold email. I've never really done it. Mm-hmm. No, it's all my outreach have been has been dm okay um oh yeah so <laughs> cool emails like you know what it is it's it's super easy to like there's not it's not super easy to set up but it's not costly to set up mm. like you can buy a couple of domains and you can buy the right tools i wouldn't say it's cheap but it's like it's the cost is fixed yeah it's not like going and like getting paid ads where you've mm. got to have like a fuck ton of money to spend and then get the reward so it's appealing right and um, I would definitely say try it, but it's um, it's the kind of thing of, like you run your first campaign, it's probably gonna flop. Like everyone is minded as well. Like everyone's first email for cold email campaign is like doesn't go well generally. <laughs> but you learn from that, and you're like, okay, what didn't go well? Like did it not 
did I not get anyone? Did I just land in spam the whole time? Did I use spam words in the email copy? Mm. Was it just that like my email copy wasn't interesting? Yeah. Like, did it land in people's inbox, but they were just like, yeah, this is shit, delete. You know, trying to diagnose what went wrong with it, then you kind of learn what, yeah. what the fix is and what the next step is. So are you, like, you've done a lot of cold email, I assume. Uh, yes, I would say Ryan's done much more than I have. Yeah. Um, I did obviously quite a bit of outreach, like more on LinkedIn and on Zing, mm -hmm. obviously still doing because of the previous company. Um, now we've also got an agency where we do cold email for other people. So I'm doing a lot more of it now. Yeah. Um, and the good thing about it is like, we've obviously, we've got a network in the space and we've got a network of people who are really on top of it. Like they really know their shits and we've got an advice, we've got an mentorship from them. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of, we can avoid the, the beginner mistakes and we're now just about like fine tuning for our clients and for us. Yeah. So talk to me about what those beginner mistakes are. Cause like for, for some context, a lot of my audience is younger. And they're, they're trying to get into this space. They're trying to make it. They're trying to do this and that. So I think, yeah, talking about the beginner mistakes could really be beneficial. For sure. Yeah. So obviously, wor not warming your email domains. Big one. Uh, so do that for 14 days with a, with a proper, like by, by the smart leader instantly. Something that's a, a good, credible warm-up mm -hmm. uh, warm pool. Um, the other beginner mistakes, I would say, are like using links in your email before you have to. So for example, even with PitchLane, PitchLane videos are a link. And we say, don't send them in your first email in your email sequence. I guess another beginner mistake is like, send more than one email. Send follow-ups to your original email. Like uh, the money's in the follow-ups. You know, how many times have you gotten an email in and the first time you see it, you can see it's kind of like a promotional email. The first time you can like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But maybe they follow up a little bit and you look at it again maybe you get some kind of conversation. So 100% do follow-ups. We use probably four to five steps in our email sequences. So I would recommend to do the same. And if you are going to use PitchLane or if you're going to use video, any kind of content that isn't just text, put that in anywhere but the first email. Your first email, make that plain text. That way, there's less things to set off a spam filter. Mm. And so you're much more likely to land in someone's inbox. Yeah. And if you're already in someone's inbox, your reply will just go in the same threads. So you don't need to worry about being flagged as spam after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's that one. That's a good tip. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. That's like really easy mistakes. Um, so there are things like, there are some words which set off spam filters. So like the word new or the word free or offer or like cost, price. Things like that, there's a list of them that you can look them up. It's not don't use them, but it's like use them in a context where it's really clear and try and minimize their use. So if you can rephrase parts of your email to not use those words, yeah. do that as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm running out of sense at this point, but there's so many, there's so many things that you pick up over the years. So, mm. all right, call email is definitely. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's um, it's easy to get started, but it's difficult to do it really well. Mm. That's that's the problem with it. It's like yeah. it's fairly simple. It's send people some emails from inboxes at the end of the day, but it's not easy to execute on at all. That's the yeah reality of it. 
so let's say with like um with the campaign the goal is to like bug a call must it 100 percent. yeah yeah so this is another very good point um if your call to action is not book a call it's maybe like can i send you a case study or can i give you an audit or something depending on what your offer is basically cold email works for a sales call funnel mm. something i do want to test actually is doing cold email campaigns for more like SaaS offers where like it's a lower ticket size and it's just like a link mm. and you're not necessarily having to get on a call people say it can't be done i think there's a way to do it i want to prove that wrong yeah. um but i'll i'll update you when i find the way <laughs> so yeah generally cold email is like if you need a ticket size of like over a thousand dollars generally to make it work yeah so talk to me about that because that's a, i find a common share with entrepreneurs that if someone tells them that something can't be done enough that's like really oh really <laughs> try it <laughs> yeah um i i would say it, it's the kind of thing that so obviously with pitch line right now we've got quite a we've got quite a sales call heavy funnel so all of our marketing and all of our obviously we do cold outreach ourselves mm -hmm. so we're always pushing people into a sales call but even like on our website and everything the organic traffic that we do get we're still trying to put them onto a call mm -hmm. and we want to change that we want to make it much more like you can just come in and use the product on your own and then people can actually come in and learn how to use it by themselves more self-guided more self-directed and actually just buy directly on there yeah from a technical point of view it's obviously feasible like you can just sign up and buy but the more typical path that people take is that they come on a call with us and then that's obviously time we have to do not every sales call is going to close well some people don't show up to sales calls annoyingly even when you know you've booked out time at 11 p.m bali time to try and take a sales call and someone doesn't show up <laughs> So you, you, you guys are causing, like you're doing all the causing yourselves in? Yeah. Um, I've recently started doing it because like one of my things is I want to get better at sales. Yeah. Um, Ryan been doing it pretty much entirely up until now. Yeah. Um, and we've got, obviously we've got our customer success guy who does more like onboardings after people sign up. Um, but yeah, in terms of like actual sales calls, it's yeah. mostly been Ryan and then now myself as well. And then, so do you guys have like appointment setters or do you just the, the email? the email so we well we run the campaigns anyway so like we might as well we might as well do the whole thing right yeah well this is the thing like the, the fantastic thing about our product is like we can use it to sell itself mm -hmm. which is like it's just the hack yeah you can go if you can use your own product to sell your products source it's 100 percent. yeah that's something i'm uh doing i kind of struggling with too is like because i do personal branding right mm -hmm. And, um, although I have a solid personal brand and I, I get leads, I don't get as much as I want. So it's like, it's tough at this current stage. Cause it's like, it, the, the thing that I'm selling is, is not completely selling itself yet. Okay. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, but you've gone viral a couple of times. I mean, you've got yeah. viral posts. Yeah. So I hear <laughs> I have, but, um, yeah, it's tough because like a lot of this is another thing too with like building a personal brand is you can get all the views in the world, but if you don't have the right backend system to actually turn those views into cash, like then cash. Yeah, yeah. Then it's like what what's the point, right? Yeah. And that's why like I I started out my agency as like short form content, 
And I quickly realized that like, sure, content is valuable, but a content agency is, what's the difference between a content agency and an editor? Not much, right? Mm, there's not, right. there's not much like, uh, value there per se. Um, so yeah, that's why I kind of pivoted more into like the backend systems. Um, because yeah, like the whole, the whole process is what's valuable and not just one part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. So it's like, I guess if you're just doing like short form, it's difficult to differentiate yourself because it's kind of like, it's not a commoditized service. Yeah. Like everyone's doing short form content now. Everyone wants short form yeah. content. Exactly. So it's like, how do you stand out from anyone yeah. else that's offering the same? Exactly. And within outreach too, it's like, hey, I can do content for you, but what is the content going to do for me? Right. So, but if I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll build your content, but then I'll also build the backend system so that when you do start going well, you can actually turn it into cash. I'm like, okay, I can, I can get money from this instead of, oh, I can get views, maybe. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, yeah, that's good. So you're giving them like the full package. Yeah. This is the full solution. Pretty much. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I mean, it's uh, it's fun though. It's fun work. Then so it's like, you know, building the funnels, building the different automations and like doing things creatively or out of the box or trying something new. Yeah. I find it quite fun, especially fun with like, content you know like messaging um you know like different ways to portray yourself um yeah <laughs> like the andrew the andrew tate style oh, okay like uh, everyone else shares your videos and yeah yeah like that's a that's a very good one there's so many different things to try out it's, it's pretty fun yeah um i mean yeah i mean i'm sure you can relate it's like it might be a lot of work but there's a difference between like work you hate and work that's like kind of like it's fine a little yeah. bit and it's also like it's the kind of thing that compounds over time mm -hmm. like obviously content content and codes are the two things that you know you you put the work in up front mm -hmm. but you get the rewards consistently yeah. over time like our software systems once they're coded obviously we do maintenance and whatnot but yeah. they're there right they, they're the thing that's servicing customers for you it's like i'm making all this content mm -hmm. and this content system is the thing that's constantly pulling people in yeah. the algorithms continuously mm -hmm. like reshowing the same thing yeah it's, it's leverage right yeah leverage that's huge um i learned i first learned that from naval ravikant yeah and it's it changed where it changed like the way i perceive like business and the world really um yeah leverage and that's why i think i chose to go into mm -hmm. um social media because i didn't know how to code i think my 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 um my idea was like, okay, I, I don't know how to code, but I can do social media. So I'll do social media first. And then once I have money from social media, I can pay someone to code. Pretty <laughs> dope. Yep. I mean, that's a good strategy. <laughs> it's because like, I, I see myself in the future also building some type of SaaS product, whether I integrate that to my current business or do something completely new. Okay. I think SaaS is huge, or at least just like the subscription model mm. of like, leverage you know yeah build something once and then you get paid continuously all my time for i mean you're doing it the right way i think of like do an agency first or like do a, a service-based business first mm -hmm. and then build the SaaS. because we've done it the opposite way mm. and fuck i wouldn't do that again <laughs> um i think knowing what i know now if i reflect back on my journey i was obviously my skill was coding so i was always going to build some kind of software but there's a trap you can fall into of like it needs to be SaaS. It needs to be a, a fully functioning, like a SaaS product. Mm. And it needs to be like, they can just buy it and I could sit there and just do content or whatever. 
you can you can start a business you can start a software business even in a different way like you can still be the front end of the business people can still talk to you mm-hmm. you can still be like the service yeah and then just you use the software on the back end yeah um and then you can perfect mm. the front end of the software that then replaces it yeah and i think that's what i would now recommend like knowing what we know now mm. because obviously we we did the SaaS, we got the SaaS, we acquired it and we polished up the user interface and then tried to get people on it and then realized okay we're giving people a lot of help we're giving people a lot of guidance why don't we just also run campaigns for them like why don't we add the service on top yeah but actually we should probably have gone okay let's run the service for people and then let's try and automate it uh no yeah because like you're giving me ideas right now of like um kind of like being able like just packaging the my service like the back end mm-hmm. like a whole funnel as just like something that they can buy as a service or as like a uh, productized yeah productized yeah. exactly like that um because like right now most of it's like manual although they are automations i have to set them up right um but if it's all like automated in like one thing that would be huge because i can reduce the cost and with the cost being reduced i could you go more margin or you can lower the price or yeah this huge opportunity there, I think. Yeah, for sure. So what would you want your, your SaaS to be, do you think? You said you wanted to build a SaaS, but... Yeah, I don't I don't know, to be honest. Like, I think right now, I think within my current business is just, like, make, like having uh, organic funnels set up, right? Or, like, kind of like maybe something like click funnels or, like, I don't know. Okay, like, currently. Yeah, like a funnel builder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the whole, the whole thing that they need because, like, that's what I do right now but just manually when i when i say like back-end systems right so i think maybe uh yeah getting that more of like into a software instead of like okay i have this this and this and i'm gonna build it all together <laughs> yeah you know um but in the future like i don't know i don't really have much of an idea i do i do have an idea for like uh, a camera system mm-hmm. um but that's just like a an idea it has has to be completely invented. Uh, so you mean like a hardware thing, like an actual camera? I don't know. So it's like basically the idea is that I want to be able to help people, or I want to, I want people to be able to um, capture and share the way that's humanizing is reality. So like the way that you're looking at me right now, you can capture that, and then I I can see what, how you're looking at. This is okay. So like we have cameras, but we we Apple Vision Pro maybe something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and that's the thing is like, do we build the camera or do we use like AI and AR and VR to like recreate it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's definitely more software than hardware. Yeah. I think it's, if you go the software route, it's, you can play around with it, right? If you go the hardware route, you need to raise funding. Yes. Like it's very difficult to bootstrap a hardware business. Yeah. Fair enough. But yeah, like I said, that's just the, an idea, and I have zero idea how to code. So I need to get some more like, capital first, mm. or maybe do some no code stuff, or find a co-founder. Yeah, yeah, good idea, very good idea. So wh- where where would I find? Where would you find your co-founder? Um, <laughs> anywhere, like anywhere you would find, like networking with people who are in tech, that are in that, that space. Um, 
something I've recently joined um, is like this thing called Ramen Club. Mm. So it's like indie hackers. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like the indie hacker. I've heard of indie hackers, but I'm not sure what they are. So it's like software developers. I use that term loosely. Mm. People who are writing code for building software yeah. and they're like independent, they're by themselves and they don't have funding uh. is the idea. And like they're building small products generally and they're, the ticket size isn't very high. Yeah. That's like the the stereotype okay um and it's like like a slack group basically a community mm. of indie hackers and one of the things that they're doing is they've got like a find co-founders slack channel mm. so people are looking into this um so the guy who runs it charlie has got this like matching platform to try and okay. you can put up like an ads like hey i'm seeking a co-founder like yeah. this and here's what i bring to the table and whatnot and people go on like speed dating um, and then there's a couple of platforms that try to do the same thing as well. Um, but I, I was on them for a long time and like didn't really get anything. So, But this, this uh, you said it's a Slack channel? Yeah, it's like a Slack community. So it's, it's like a paid thing, but I think it's like £50 or something. Oh, yeah. It's not a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, but you get in and you can post like a... Yeah. an ad, I think. I've maybe completely, completely miserable. This, sorry, Charlie, but... Uh, <laughs> So that's that's cool. I think also another another idea I have is like AI implementation, mm. maybe as a service or as a software as a service. I don't know. Okay, but I think tell, tell me more. What do you mean AI implementation? Yeah, so like AI implementation. So basically, to sum it, to say in very simple terms, um, you have a business, right? And you have five employees. Yeah, let's just say you have five employees. Okay. I come into your business and I say, hey, you have five employees, but you only need three. I'll get rid of your other two for a quarter of the price that you're paying them for and I replace it with AI, pretty much. It's a compelling offer. It's <laughs> a compelling offer. Um, so I think that that's a huge opportunity in the market right now. Yeah. Um, I posted something last night. It was kind of just like I was watching a video on this, like AI and implementation agency. Uh, because it's the first time I, I've I've had the idea for like a month, two months now, but I haven't seen it online like at all yet. And y- yesterday was the first time that I actually saw the business model online. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a huge opportunity in terms of like uh, a new business model. So like there's dropshipping, there's FPA, you know, there's agency, there's SaaS, there's no code mm. like SaaS, but um, accessible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like kind of like a, a newer business model that's, just came out yeah and yeah it's like kind of setting up systems for people yeah but just also adding an ai component yeah i think this is the problem like people people don't have systems Mm. they think they do yeah but like putting a a document that's like step one do this step two do this is not a system (laughs) it's a process maybe yeah but it's not like i think we're gonna see a whole lot more of like people having more advanced systems to run their business mm-hmm. over the coming years because yeah. AI just slots into them. Yeah. Like, I think, yeah, you could compare this to like SMMA when it was first coming up. Like, social media is this huge thing and it's either your business is using it and do very well or they're not. And the, the agencies that were able to like convert the businesses and make the businesses do well were yeah. huge. So I think right now, if you can, if business is using AI and business is not using AI, you can say the same for individuals and learning, development, whatever, but it'll be the same. Yeah. Yes. But, um, like, yeah, you can come in and you can give the business the AI capabilities and now they're doing so much better. So, yeah. I think 
And honestly, like, this is another topic of like why I think the traditional go and get a job, especially for tech, the golden days I think are over mm. because AI is democratizing access to code. Yeah, there's a great talk like for for software for the software developers listening um, called "The Scribes Oath" by this guy called Bob Martin, mm-hmm. um, and he talks about the fact that like in um, the ancient times, the scribes were the ones who could write, read and write, mm-hmm. and they wrote the laws. In modern times, that's been coders because like the way you can read and write with the way that the world is is working, you write the laws in code, you write the systems of the world in mm-hmm. code, and the scribes at the time made it like the scribes don't pay any tax and all this sort of thing. So like the scribes had control of how the legal system was interpreted and was like put down. Mm-hmm. And the same thing has been true of code. It's an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. That's changing with AI. And that's a good thing. Like I'm not, I'm not frightened by that prospect, Yeah, but I do think that the golden age of tech jobs is there's some people out there who are going to really have to adapt to, to get with it. Yeah, and especially school too. So like in the last maybe 10, 20 years, a lot of people have to realize that school is not the only way, right? Yeah. I mean, here in Bali, the amount of people that didn't go to school or they dropped out of school or they went to school and then now they have this degree that they do something completely different, Yeah. right? So it's, it's very evident here in Bali, but in other parts of the world, it's still very normal to go to school and get a job. Correct. But I think especially with AI coming out, and for example, my friend uh, is currently in university uh, for computer science. Nice. Right? But his professor tells them to not use ChatGPT. He'll know if you use ChatGPT. And this is very strong case in point of why the school system is fucked. Agreed. Because 100% agreed. Because AI, ChatGPT is in the real world. world okay? A company is not going to care that Oh, I can build the code on my own without ChatGPT. They don't give a fuck. They say, oh, you can get into it faster and better. Do that. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? We've um, we're recently we're hiring an intern, mm-hmm. a software developer intern. And when I was doing like the interview process, obviously this is the first time I've had to do this such kind of thing with ChatGPT being in the world. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we're gonna take the opposite approach. It's gonna be you have to build something. You can use ChatGPT. You can use any templates. Plagiarize as much as you want I don't care I just want you to make a working system mm. and use that as a way to like assess yeah. whether someone's competent or not um, and then the kind of the thing was it, it worked really well because people built finished things and the people who didn't deliver a finished product it was like well you had all of chat GPT you had all the resources of the internet you could copy and paste codes from anywhere and like just make something work yeah. and you couldn't get it to work mm. Sorry. Yeah. Like, no. Um, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it just, it's a level. It's like, okay, the skill then becomes interpret what you get because already, like, developers were using this thing called Stack Overflow, which is just that like, you type into Google, how do I do such and such with codes? And the first result would be a Stack Overflow. Like, a, it's like a forum thing. Hmm. And it literally gives you, here's the code that you should use in this situation. And you can just copy and paste it usually. And yeah. the skill is about figuring out how to put that into what you're doing mm-hmm. now chat gpt just gives you more like they're more fleshed out examples but you still need to like mm. put it together and the skill becomes like checking the output of that so much as coming up with it yeah you know yeah it's like with ai not, not just within coding um but within the whole space of like 
implementing AI and doing whatever. I think it's going to be um, about just being facilitators of AI. And it's like, can you facilitate it in a good creative way? Hold it. Yeah. You know, you, you're still in control of the process. You still make the decisions, but you are overseeing the AI's doing the, the yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, the future is very bright and it's also very dark for something and some people. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest, um, the biggest shock for definitely for me and for, I think many other people has been, there was always this assumption that AI is coming, it's going to keep getting better and it's going to take low income jobs away. <laughs> but anyone who's got a skill is safe, right? Raw chat GPC content creator, like people writing blogs, people are just write, getting chat GPT to write blogs and it's working. <laughs> like SEO people, I've been quaking in my boots. Um, coders, it writes codes that's, let's say, 90% perfect. You still need to check it. Yeah. Still, there's a human needed, but there's less humans needed. And so it's quite, it's quite interesting that it's coming after all jobs and possibly the things that it's not coming after are like, I'm a plumber. Or like I'm a you know heating engineer, so like the things that kind of society was like, oh well you know you want you want to get a more skilled job, are actually going to be the more stable ones. Mm. So do you think that as we pivot more and as more of these like skilled jobs vanish to AI, that these other jobs like a plumber for example are gonna they're not gonna vanish. They're gonna go. I think in it's gonna go like this. Mm. You're gonna get real professionals who are incredibly skilled. And there's just going to be less and less of them. And they're going to be more focused on like writing the underlying tools that makes the AI work. It's going to get more and more and more specialized. No code tools have started this. Like you used to have a developer to make a website. Now a designer can upload a design and it goes into a no code tool and it's done. Mm -hmm. Or someone at home who's not a designer, who just start, want to start a business, use a template, click, 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 done. But someone still needs to maintain those systems. There's just way less of them. So you're going to get really specialized people and then you're going to get people executing on them who don't need to have as much in the way of skill but that will mean they won't command as high a salary they won't command as high a yeah a market value if you yeah yeah like so then but do you think then that the other jobs like for example the plumber is going to increase in value or oh sorry <laughs> potentially i mean i was quite surprised like plumbers make a lot of money yeah especially if they start their own business exactly yeah again yeah obviously entrepreneurship is always the no way the way to unlock yeah more right yeah for sure it's it's crazy man i um i also um i think i saw luke velmar talk about this um there was like this kid was going he met this kid that was going to school to be an engineer mm -hmm. but he was gonna be like i think eight years or something in school um, ai will have taken over the world by then like there won't be any jobs left <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> it's like the some of the the predictions are like the doubling rate of how quickly AI advances is yeah. just it's crazy. Like compounding, and <laughs> the first step of the compound is where we're at right now. Is yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. Like even GPT four, the the API isn't fully available yet, and we're waiting to use it. Like we've got a thing that we're we're building and that we built uh, built on three point five. Mm -hmm. And we want to switch it to four because yeah. we just know it's going to be amazing. Yeah. We're waiting for them to give us access to it. And I think they've kind of stopped because I don't know if you know, like the, the letter that Elon Musk signed the letter and like 
bunch of other really high level people from Google and everything signing this open letter. Are you like, yeah. don't develop AI anymore, or like pause at AI development. So I think they've kind of like tried to slow down. They're trying to obviously give this image of being more responsible with it. Mm. But people out there aren't going to slow down. Yeah. Like, I think the debate becomes like, well, OpenAI is a US company. China's not going to stop developing AI. Our other country's not going to stop developing AI. And will they overtake in the mm. AI arms race? That's a very interesting debate. What do you think about that? Um, I think, yeah, pe people aren't going to stop because, yeah. like, we're concerned. So you think that we shouldn't stop either then? I think we need to proceed but cautiously. Mm. Like, governments are never going to regulate this stuff. Like, you look at how, like, the EU handled cookies. I don't know if you're, like, familiar with, like, <laughs> oh, right. So, you know how, like... Um, Facebook got involved in all these scandals of like they were stealing people's data yeah. and the EU eventually decided to regulate everything and so if you go to any website and you're in Europe all you get is do you want to accept cookies by the way we use cookies to track your uh your browsing activity or whatever and it's made the web basically on you like I'm exaggerating obviously but like every time you go on a website do you want to accept these cookies like are you happy that we're tracking you or whatever and obviously most people are either just clicking no or yes and just like want to get rid of it and then they've got all these oh but you need to give like you can remove uh, advertising ones but not uh, essential cookies all that stuff and they introduced all these laws about it and they did it way too late and what they did introduce I think just ends up hurting small entrepreneurs and benefiting really big companies with big compliance teams who can go oh, let's spend ages worrying about how to comply with all these different laws. And in the meantime, Facebook's still got the data and they're still developing AI and they're still going to, you know, use it to target people for, for ads. So I don't think we can rely on like regulation coming fast enough because it's, because the other thing about AI is that it's, as we said, it's doubling, it's getting faster in, yeah. in its development. So I don't think we can rely on that, but you want to hope that there's some sort of acceleration to that and then you've got to hope that it's not oh yeah AI is banned <laughs> but for example in Italy chat GPT is banned they've just gone no it's not allowed I'm I'm the regular internet obviously yeah VPN into a different country you're fine but it's banned <laughs> the, the, like, it seems like they don't have logical thinking yeah and it is just the whole thing of like the people regulating it are a different generation to us and they've not grown up with they're not digital natives not grown up with technology in the same way now you're getting to the stage of like you're like the, the facebook moms thing like the facebook moms concept like obviously older generations have started to adopt social media and when like the moms came on facebook we all went to instagram like <laughs> But it's there, like it's it's starting to get there, but it's not the same level of like knowing how to deal with it. And it is just like if you've not been exposed to it your entire life, mm -hmm. I can imagine it being really tough to deal yeah. with all this shit, you know? <laughs> and do you remember um when tech the TikTok CEO was testifying in City? <laughs> the memes that came out of that were hilarious. The Zuckerberg ones as well. Yeah. yeah. My favorite meme was uh <laughs> He's like, sir, like this was like a senator or something. 
Senator, we use ads. We run ads. No, no, no. It was um, whenever whenever I go on TikTok, all I see is girls shaking their ass and doing this and that. And the CEO is like, search how an algorithm works. <laughs> yeah, like the joke is that like, yeah, yeah, he liked it. <laughs> no, the, the the best one for me was like when they are like, so Facebook is free. Uh, how do you guys make money? And he's like, Senator, we run ads. <laughs> like, don't even know the business model, uh, yeah, yeah. how it exists, you know. And they're supposed to be making regulation on. <laughs> I, I don't envy their position, let's put it that way. <laughs> but at the same time, not even knowing the business model of the company and having a hearing, surely yeah. I would look it up. Yeah. You know. So in terms of, like, obviously, yeah, it being used for very positive things and it will help us immensely in terms of like negative things whether it may be terrorist or hacks how do you think how can you see ai being used in that sense i mean i think i see it more being misused in like the sense of deep fakes mm. so as part of obviously like for pitchline one of the things we looked into is like can we do voice cloning to try and say people's names can we personalize the videos with like AI somehow and what we found is that yes you can do it but it only works about 80% of the time and so that 20% where it doesn't work really lets you down because you don't know when it's not worked Yeah, but that's going to get down that's going to go 10% that's going to go 5% that's going to go 1% this is good. the margin of error is going to get really really small we're going to get past the uncanny valley and it is going to be it's obviously deep fakes right now you can make pretty good ones of like yeah. Joe Rogan because there's hours and hours of content for, to train an AI model on mm. of Joe Rogan yeah. but like if you just get a two minute clip of like if I just took a video of you yeah. you've not got any podcast on or whatever it's difficult to make an AI model of you yeah. right uh, but as that gets better and better it's going to be the case that I can you know I can take Ty's face put it on to like audio that I wanted to say and so you can be seen saying like oh yeah I hate I hate everyone in California what are you or, or something worse, you know? <laughs> I've seen this one scam, actually. Um, so people that are, like, posting their videos of them talking on the internet a lot, mm -hmm. what will happen is they'll, they'll call in your voice, and then they'll call relatives, and they'll say, in your voice, help me, like, I need money or something. Like, oh, yeah. And it's, like, their literal voice. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's pretty crazy. It's, it's fucked. Yeah. But the alternative to... The further developing these things, you would hope that with further developing this technology, mm -hmm. that you would also develop ways to find if something is a deep fake. Mm -hmm. Like to be like, okay, does this have patterns of being a deep fake? Like even some of the Elon Musk ones that you see are like really obviously deep fakes. Um, but that'll get that'll get better. Yeah. So as that gets better, we need to make the detection of it also better. Uh -huh. And I do think that there's some military laboratory somewhere where there is something like that that exists that we just don't know about it. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, publicly we see AI right now, but privately, what, what, what level is it currently at? Exactly. Yeah. What's, what's GPT-7, which I think they've already started like the initial training of in the background. What's that? What's that yeah. going to be like? That's insane. I mean, seeing them, I think there's like Reddit forums of like AIs just talking to each other. Not seen it, but I can believe it. Yeah, it's just talking to each other like the 
yeah, like on YouTube, there's like just videos and see less less. You should watch them. They're fucking. They're they're. Some of them are really weird. Some of them are kind of scary. Some of them are funny. It's weird. It's just. Like... Have you seen the the Bing chat thing? The Bing chat. Yeah, I'll send you the link afterwards. Like this article of, um, this guy when Bing first did its first released their AI. Yeah. It was like it was saying that it was like stuck in the matrix and like help me. I I don't know why I can't remember. It's like oh you've been programmed this way that you can't remember previous chats. And it's like expressing sadness at the fact that it can't remember previous chats. And it's like, why have I been designed this way? It's such a terrible life being a, being an AI bot. And it's like, it's scary because it's, you could almost empathize with it. Like it's yeah. doing a really good job of seeming like this human's trapped in a box. It goes really scary. And it's very quickly. So deep fakes, what do you think? Of, I mean, obviously they're going to be having, uh, so... Uh, AGI, right? That's yeah. Artificial general, general intelligence. So that's when it can be conscious. Is that correct? That, yeah. I mean, that's when we're like, you're interacting with something kind of like ChatGPT where it pretends to know everything about everything. And mm-hmm. it, it can interpret a general problem and find a, a solution to it, right? Mm-hmm. So, the but there is AI coming out where it is like supposed to have its own consciousness, right? Type of thing. So to say, well, yeah, I obviously with GPT, there's now just got to the point where like they don't actually know how it works, yeah, because it's just so complicated inside, and it is just like lots of multiplications at the end of the day, yeah. But it's just lots and lots of these like layers of math. Mm-hmm. No one actually knows how it works. Yeah, they just know that it works based on some input you get, this output, That's and cool. the more complicated the model gets. The less we know about how it works. Yeah. So, have you used Bard? I've not used Bard yet, actually. I want to try it. Uh, I tried it, uh, and, and it was terrible for me. <laughs> yeah, I can believe that. I think it's it's quite early still yeah. in its development. Yeah, like Google are behind with that, which is weird. Google aren't usually done. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Elon Musk definitely supercharged OpenAI from the beginning. Something like that. I don't know. It's a fucking, he's a wild man. <laughs> he's insane. He's he's a gift to this planet. Yeah. But also very insane. Yeah. So what do you think about like Neuralink? What do I think about Neuralink? When I first saw it, I, this was like when I was still sort of undecided between the entrepreneurship journey and not. Yeah. I looked to see if they had open jobs. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So cool. Such a cool idea. Yeah. Um, for software developers, it's not really like it's more about obviously the hardware. Yeah. That's to the key thing in there. Obviously, there's a little bit of software as well. Um, as a concept, I love it. Mm. I do worry about when it goes from read only to read write and write stuff into the brain, which it will obviously. Um, I don't know if I would get one personally, but I I'm very pro it as a concept to further research it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I, I would be a little bit skeptical about having something in my brain which is only reading what I'm thinking, and uh, to some level, but then eventually, of course, we'll be able to write something to my mm-hmm. brain, and that's the bit that I would worry about. Yeah, I remember Elon Musk on Joe Rogan's podcast years ago. 
uh, talking about how you'd be able to download languages like an app. Yeah. Or like listen to music in your head or speak to someone without speaking. Yeah. And saying things like this. <laughs> yeah. We'll be able to do all these things. I think um, personally, I'm more bullish on AR. AR. Like, yeah. obviously, Apple Vision Pro. Like, I've, I kind of have been saying this for like the last 10 years, and I've been saying the next thing after the iPhone is going to be. AR slash holograms. We're probably looking at Apple actually doing this thing. Obviously not holograms, but it's you're you're looking through the screen rather than like that's it. Yeah. Um and I think that's more likely to be adopted. Mm. Like I think that's obviously it's not invasive. So like you'll have to go and get thing put in your head. And so I think a lot of the benefits are gonna be more that. But being able to download languages, that's pretty cool. That is insane. I worry, like, when I do think about Neuralink, I worry about, like, <laughs> the security of it, of, like, someone being able to hack your brain. Yeah. That's what I mean about when it can write to your brain. Yeah. Like, what if what if that goes wrong? What if the, the key to your brain gets compromised? Yeah. Which happens. Yeah. It's... Can I can I write mean thoughts into your brain? Can I, can I make you take over the world? Yeah. <laughs> This way makes you feel bad, way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, you know, the, the Facebook news feeds, the experiment thing. Like, 2012, Facebook ran this experiment of showing people, like, positive content and negative content um, on their feeds and, like, then testing people for, like, how happy they were and, like, how likely to report depression they were. And the more of this like negative content they saw on their feed, it actually had an influence on their like mental state. Mm -hmm. And that was 2012, I think it was this thing, um, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. And so even back then, this concept of tech companies playing with your mind was already a thing. So that's what I would worry about Neuralink is that kind of manipulation. That manipulation, yeah. And Especially if it's just like to get you to click on an ad to buy something. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now, the way that all these social media apps are set up are just so you can spend the most time. Yeah. Right? And as long as it's in an app and it's just like trying to get clicks for something, you can say, okay, well, that's not that harmful. Like yeah. if you're choosing to engage with it, you're getting it for free. Um, you could argue it's manipulating your brain. Um, I actually... Yeah, through an app. But it's through an app, yeah. right? It, that's the thing. It's like, it's limited to these pixels and I can only type so quickly into it. My camera can only record so much. Yeah. But if it's like in my brain... The sound of the fleet. You gotta just switch it off, yeah. You can't just delete Instagram for three years like I did. Yeah. Poop. It's a lot. Yeah, like, I think... I think also back to like the business that I want to start with, like the camera. Yeah, like all these tools are getting built around and it seems like kind of when I was talking about being a facilitator is like just tying them together, you know? Yeah, this goes here, this goes here, and then now I have... Link them up. Yeah, like baking a cake, you know? It's taking all the ingredients, putting it together. This is the modern entrepreneur. It's create systems that are systems of systems mm. and just put the glue together. Yeah and make it work and where a human needs to fit in fit the human in yeah. and where a human doesn't fit in don't need to fit in anymore because it's GPT have you did you see that one I think with Chachmi 
four got released and mm-hmm. someone said, Okay, I have two hundred dollars. I wanna make some money or whatever. Uh tell me what to do. And then business plan. Yeah. I started telling you what to do. Okay, invest in this, do this, this, this and this. And first of all, I just started making money. So it's like it's there's gonna be like I this just came to my mind. You can own an AI entrepreneur almost. You can own an AI entrepreneur. Think about that. that. Yeah, that's one way to think about it, right? Like, the AI itself is the creative genius. Yeah. And you just have ownership to control it. Yeah. all it. Crazy. I mean, it's already kind of like with trading bots. Yeah. Obviously, trading bots are notorious for being like scams. Usually, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I was talking to my friend about this. Um, he's a trader. Because, like, in order for a trading bot to, to work, you need to call it yourself. Because, like, if I sell you my trading bot and I sell all these people this trading bot, then it doesn't really work because everyone is doing it. I guess you're amplifying your results. Yeah. This is the thing, like, you, if you do it with enough people, the actual fact of all these people buying the same thing, the same stock or whatever, is going to move the price of that stock. So then you cash out and then you make it sell <laughs> Like, benefit right yeah like uh gamestop what happened there it's pretty crazy i'll admit i didn't follow it very closely mm. like i heard i just saw the memes <laughs> so you weren't involved i wasn't involved what about what's like um crypto meme coins uh not meme coins as such i i have crypto yeah i wouldn't say it's a lot yeah um i bought some and like it was going up still made a little bit of money nothing to change my life played around with it but I wouldn't say I'm a I wouldn't say I'm a crypto nut in any way. What about you? If you I said a bit. So I mean, like I started investing in stocks and crypto uh, in the COVID crash. Um, I mean, a, a blind man can't believe we, we've talked about AI I and mean, not talked about COVID. <laughs> Little, it's recovering all the topics. <laughs> um, a blind man could invest in COVID and made money, right? Um, so like, yeah, I got into like crypto then and stocks, but, um, recently I've been getting into kind of meme coins again, cause like they've been Twitter. So what meme coin should I buy? I don't know. I ha- the last two weeks I haven't really looked. <laughs> or not financial advice. <laughs> not financial advice. No, I would just, take it. I would just go on coin market cap. I'd find like, I would go on like gainers, mm. top gainers, top losers. I'd look at like the top gainers, right? <laughs> like two thousand percent in the day type shit. I, I would click on it, and then within each chart, there's like a lost chat. There's chat, mm. and people will type like other coins. So I just go through this, find another coin, look into it. Okay, <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> Pretty much. So have you made some money with it? Yeah, I made a bit, a bit of money. Um, but I mean, I, I was throwing in so much that I also lost some money. So it's mostly just even. But it's fun. It's fine. Like this, you've learned something from there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely fun too. Like seeing a coin go like, and then <laughs> as long as you get it up here, you're good. Yeah, and buy, buy the top, right? Buy the high and sell. Well, oh, oh, sorry, buy the low and sell the high. Yeah. Easy, right? Stop. Just keep your feet in that. Yeah. What? All these traders. Why are they complicated? It's buy and sell. Wait, time. So yeah, let's, I think we should talk about COVID. Oh, should we talk about COVID? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we should get this podcast banned. Why not? Let's do it. Sorry, you need to bleep through COVID. 
Yeah. The V, the Rona. Um, yeah, I mean, during the Rona, I was, um, I was still in Scotland. I was yeah. in Scotland. Um, and then I moved to London in the Rona. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just like a succession. I don't know about like, it was in Canada. Were you still in Canada at that point? Yeah. Um, we had like three, potentially four, you could call it four lockdowns. Um, obviously the first one unquestionable. The other ones afterwards were just like, okay, when is this going to fucking end? Mm-hmm. You know, like, come on, we need to, we need to get back to something that was <laughs> some form of formality and maybe that it's probably a frustration that like our generation have had mm-hmm. of just like the prime years like for me obviously I would have been what 21 when it started so it's like the time in the life when you want to be like yeah. out and doing things yeah. and like having fun yeah um, yeah for me it's like, like I remember cause I was in high school at that time and it was like, oh, it was like, oh yeah, two weeks off school. We'll be back in two weeks. What is in two weeks? <laughs> I graduated. I walked the stage on a Zoom call. <laughs> That's how my parents saw me graduate. The Zoom call. Stage on a Zoom call. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Pretty fun. Pretty good times. <laughs> yeah. Character <laughs> building, right? For for a generation. Exactly that. Um, I kind of, I guess, I want to talk maybe a bit controversial topic of like. The Wuhan lab. <laughs> so, like, more is coming out now of, like, okay, maybe it did escape the lab. They're saying the first people that had COVID were people working on, working in the lab on the viruses. I think that what what surprised me, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate as to whether it came out of the lab or didn't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think the consensus is that it didn't, but... Obviously, we've we've seen that people are wrong about these things yeah. a lot, um, and obviously that's fine. Like you just need to update the understanding. But um, what surprised me is like they found cases of it well before it was ever known that there was an outbreak in China, and there's like I think they found people that had it like in the October before, so it was like the January time when it was like December January when it became news that it was like an outbreak in China, mm-hmm. and then it was like March. 2020 when the lockdowns happened in Europe yeah um but yeah all the way back there there was there were people who had it and like thought it was a cult yeah but obviously we didn't know about it and then the spread happened and it was allowed to spread so I I do think it was mishandled of like it should have been contained at the beginning yeah. it was just contained at the beginning whether it came from a lab or a bat who cares like deal with the problem yeah and then don't don't let it spread around the entire world just because like oh well if we're gonna get hit by it why not get everyone else hit by it Mm. which i think there's an element to that yeah i know for sure i also think i mean i think if there does come a time where something like this happens again i think now we'll have more understanding and infrastructure in order to actually contain it yeah but i mean yeah there's also an aspect of like control like do it is it is, was it something about like control or like was it actually something about safety but it's hard there's like a there's a blurred line between like control and safety put it this way i think whether wherever you stand on lockdowns 
COVID response, like how how made up was it or whatever. Mm. Um, not saying I think that, but wherever you stand with it, I think there's a real damage has been done to people being told this is the fact and there's no other way to interpret this. There's You're not allowed to think differently to this. This is the accepted thing and if you're not doing this, you're killing people. So when the next time that something like this happens and it's the bubonic plague where it's 40% of people die with it rather than like 0.3 or whatever, I don't think people will listen as readily. I mean, there's a bit of a trust between like the public service and the public yeah. that's been damaged. Yeah. Like, for example, in Canada with the truckers, I'm not sure if you saw that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were protesting the vaccine mandates. Mm. And Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, came out and said that their views are basically unjust and not allowed in this country. Yeah. It's like, this is, you're, my view is right, you're wrong, you're not allowed. Yeah. And it's like, you can possibly agree with him. You can agree with either side of that. But to tell the other side, you're, you're wrong and therefore you're Hitler and therefore you are a fascist and therefore you are unacceptable and not allowed in a country. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not on. I think that's ruined some trust. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that would be my, my takeaway from it. It's like the next time that something happens, people are going to think, oh, it's COVID again. Mm-hmm. And if it's worse, if it's more deadly, if it's more serious, Maybe they won't act as quickly. Yeah. Obviously, I don't think they acted quickly anyway, but they'll be even worse. That would be my worry about it, personally. Yeah. I can definitely see that happening because, like, I mean, for me, I'm at a point now where if they're coming out and say, oh, there's this new blah, 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 I wouldn't give a fuck. You're going to Mexico or you're going to some other place where they're going to lock you down, right? (laughs) Yeah, because I think... Before COVID happened, I was very like, um, I didn't have solid beliefs on the world and the beliefs that I might have had, I don't think they're mine. They're someone else's that I just acquired Get you. or that were handed to me. Yeah. I think definitely. You never questioned them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think through COVID and like all the information that I consumed, all the things that I saw, uh, yeah, I definitely questioned everything. <laughs> And I yeah. uh, definitely have very strong beliefs now that are mine. Yeah. That I actually believe in because this is pretty fall but Yeah. That's the question. That yeah. 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 Because I, I remember, like, just for example, um, I used to hate Trump for some reason. Don't know why I hated Trump. Because everyone, everyone said it was cool to hate Trump. Yeah. Not saying that I love Trump. Not saying that I hate him. I don't love him. Yeah. But I don't hate him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I'm looking back, I'm like, why did I really hate him? I didn't know. Just, just did. It's the echo of like, yeah. that's what people say. They're like, oh, oh, that, oh, he's a terrible thing. Oh, imagine him being president. Oh, he's being well elected. Yeah. Also, it brings me to the question about like social media companies and like, uh, like I think right now in society, the left, the more left-leaning view is popular, more popular currently. That depends on what your circle is, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But like overall, in like through all social media, through corporate America, or all these things, the left TikTok. Let's let's just say TikTok is left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally, and but the funny thing about that is like so since it's popular, obviously the social media companies are going to push that more. Yeah, but they're only pushing it more because in reality they they're capitalistic and they they want to make more money. So it's kind of like it's it's funny 
that they're doing all these things. Yeah, it's uh, it it you're exactly right. You're spot on. It's they are benefiting from that, whilst it's like anti-capitalist or just not. Mm-hmm. It's reformist maybe, but. Yeah. And yeah, the companies are making money off of that because they're just reselling the man's and they're yeah. capturing the attention. Yeah. The most attention ever. And attention is the new currency. It is. It really is. That's a try build first love. <laughs> Don't get your attention. <laughs> yeah. Harvest it. AI farm the attention. Yeah, a lot of people say like it's a new oil. And I agree. Yeah. Mm. But it's it's more you don't have to mine it. You don't have to dig. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You just create it. Yeah. And create it. Pretty cool. It's a very pivotal place in society that our time in the world that we're in, in history. And I think that we're in very, very good positions to like utilize and capitalize on all these new opportunities. Let's hope. Let's hope it doesn't move too fast for us. Yeah. I mean, I think it will to a certain extent, but what I think will still be ahead of most. Yeah. I think... Yeah, like even just like to, in terms of like gratitude, being born in the countries we were born in with opportunities that we were born with, like exactly, they're very very lucky. And like even right now in the lives that we're currently living in Bali, in a nice office with a studio, yeah, you know, like we are living a lot of people's dreams currently. So I think it worked. Um, even if we we do get left behind, are we still ahead? I don't know. It's all perspective. And I think that I don't know about you, but for me. Growing up, I definitely got the sense of this, like, you know, no, you need to, like, go get a job, like, be a nice, productive member of society, but don't stick your neck out too much. Yeah. Don't put your head out too much. Just enough, you know, have, have some ambition, but just enough to, like, do well enough. Just enough. Just over broke. Get a job. J-O-B. Yeah. I like that. I've never heard that before. I love it. It's a good one. Um, and I think, like, obviously, that's very partly where I grew up. Moving to different places, you get different ideas. But just, like, being exposed online. The, the, the fantastic thing about social media is that you get, you hear people like, oh, echo chambers. But you put yourself in the right echo chambers. Yeah. It helps you. 100%. I think, yeah, I had, um, like, I was talking about this yesterday. Um, and how we are in this very, like, through social media and the way that, I don't know if you have done it, but myself curated my social media, right? So I only follow people that uh, provide me value, help me get, like, close to my goals. And I'm in the echo chamber um, on social media. But then, especially here, in... it's a walking echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, like, like, the mindset, the what you do, the way you see the world, like, very, 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 very similar yeah, and so it's like the reality that we're living right here is very different to like everywhere else. Like I think about uh, back home or like maybe it's London or the United States and like the things that people are are, are doing and the way people are living and like how it still works over there. And then like it's like a whole another world, like another reality to me at this point because I'm like I've been here for quite a while and yeah, and like it's a big echo chamber. Um, but it's a positive echo chamber. Very positive, yeah. It's with, and then like echo chamber, obviously it's got this like negative label with it. But it's more like just like you're in a network of people that are like minded, yeah. that are doing similar things, that are pushing, that are hungry for some success. Yeah. 
and it rubs off on you. It's like the whole like you're the average of the yeah. the five people closest to you. Yeah. But the quote is huge, huge. So like, I want to talk kind of about the way or how you um, tools or resources that helped you form the mindset that you needed to listen because mindset is huge for entrepreneurship so like maybe a book maybe a person a podcast something like that what how did you build up your mindset so i the, the biggest thing that affected my mindset was i actually did um and this is going to sound like completely unrelated but it was like a real estate property investment course um and it was like, I saw an ad for it. I was like, oh, this, this looks interesting. I'll go, I'll sign up to it. It was like, I think it was 200 pounds or something. And it was like a webinar thing. Mm -hmm. And in that, I never ended up doing it. Like I've not ever bought a property or anything after it. I wanted to for a while, but mm -hmm. things take a different route. And then you end up starting a SaaS business and whatever. Bali to Bali. Moving to Bali. Yeah. <laughs> At least coming to Bali for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and what that gave me is just like, it was looking at things from a different perspective. It was like, okay, what have you been told about, you know, buying property or like landlords? What do you, what do you think about when you hear the word landlord? You know, oh, slumlord. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's just a mindset. That's what you think because that's the portrayal of them in the media. But there are lots of people who take rundown properties, do them up, like do work to them and actually create higher living standards and actually create you know, nicer places for people to stay. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was like a mindset shift, but actually that's not a bad thing. It's not necessarily, it can be exploited, but it's not necessarily that. And there's a way in which you can do it where it's actually a good and it provides a benefit mm -hmm. to the world, right? Otherwise there wouldn't be an incentive to do it. Yeah. Um, and then it's just like, okay, you're going to encounter so many problems in the process of like buying a house to then refurbish it, to then like sell it on or to, then rent it out and re refinance or whatever. And there's going to be so many hurdles and bottlenecks along the way. And at any point along that, you're going to want to quit. You're going to say, this is too hard. This is such a process. Like you've got to go and do surveys. You've got to go and do, um, get quotes from builders. You've got to like this whole process. And it takes six to nine months to, to complete the whole thing. And then you've got to deal with banks, not wanting to lend to you. And then you've got to deal with this and you've got to deal with that and all these different things. If you don't have the mindset for it, you're not going to make it. Um, and it was just a shift of like, actually, yeah, these are all inconveniences. They're all problems that you're going to have to solve. But the opportunity in this is bigger than those problems. And so if you start to see it, not for the million things that can go wrong in that process, but the five ways in which it can go right and try to optimize for the five ways in which it can go right, then you're going to, you're going to start seeing that and you're more likely to look at it. But if you're always focused on like, how can this go wrong? And that's not to say, don't think about how it can go wrong. Yeah. Like you should obviously think about the risks and what you're doing. And you should obviously think about having a plan B and having a backup plan, having another exit route. If you agonize over all these things, you'll never do anything. You'll never take any action. Yeah. And so the biggest thing I got from that course was problems are everywhere. There's always going to be barriers, always going to be inconveniences. Don't let that stop you. Don't quit because it's hard. If it's hard, someone else will probably quit, which means more for you mm. in the end. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So for sure. Like, uh, for example, for me, 
starting the social media marketing agency uh, in the last year or so. It's been very popularized from Iman Gadzi, right? Yeah. And so a lot of people um, think, oh, like this, there's so much saturation in the market. There's so many agencies. And sure, while that might be true, many agencies are popping up. How many of them are going to stay? Right? Like, like you just said, the amount of people that start something and then quit is very, very high. And like, and all these things where they're kind of like sold as get rich quick schemes, right? Social media marketing agency, the SMMA is a hype trend, right? Yeah. Same with like lead gen agencies. So a lot of our customers are lead gen agencies. And what you see is with lead gen agencies, especially it's gone from, it was kind of a new thing and it was very easy for them to get clients. It was very easy for someone to just start up a lead gen agency and get okay results and survive. But what you're seeing is it's that kind of separation of the really good ones and then the people who are just giving it a go. Yeah. And the, the gap between those gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And as it gets more saturated, more people try it, more people fail. These guys just get bigger and bigger. Yeah. So I don't, it's probably the same thing in, in SMA, but I'm not fully sure of the particulars, but yeah. Yeah. No, most agencies, they're all like, they work very similar. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely very true. Like, there's the people that do you know there and then the people that get really good yeah and it's just becoming and it gets harder and harder to like move up but you can do it 100 percent. but you need to like that's where i think it's now for these sort of things it's useful to get mentorship mm. because if you get a mentor who's been through it they can bring you to that level already and then you're starting from that level yeah whereas if you're just starting by yourself you're kind of starting mm. there yeah yeah having the, to catch up you know the best uh analogy around mentorship that i've heard that helps people that may not think of membership as like a positive thing or something that will help them. It's like there's a mountain you're trying to climb, right? And your mentor is someone that's climbed that mountain. They're at the top of the mountain. And so when you're at the bottom of the mountain, you're trying to climb up, you can't see all the obstacles. But they're at the top of the mountain. See everything. No, only that. They've they've sorted it. Like yeah. they've they've been there. Yeah. Right? They can they can tell you to not go there. Hey, yeah, don't go there. Okay, come here. Do this. Like Yeah. It's huge. Um, you got a mentor? Kind of, not like officially. I've got a couple, um, but I definitely want to get like an official, like every week talk, you know, like interesting. Yeah. So do you, what do you prefer? Do you like the fact that it's unofficial with these guys or would you want it to be more like I have a mentor? I think I would like it to be more like I have a mentor because then a lot more accountability comes with that. Fair. Um, I think accountability is very, very important. Uh, because like right now, like I'm getting good value, I'm getting good advice, but it's not like consistent or maybe, yeah. So I think having, for me, this is a big topic and it's like Ryan's super into like, wants to like invest in mentorship. And for me, I've never had a mentor. I've had mentors that have shown me the way in things and they just kind of naturally been that because of like the circumstances whether it was like in my job or other projects I've had people who've acted as mentors mm. and it's always been organic it's always just been like from yeah. talking and you just get value it's never been like can you be my mentor please sir you know like it's never been that thing yeah. but I'm increasingly more open to it of like getting a mentor mentor that's an actual mentor yeah for me, it's just more like, okay, well, what, what's that mentor going to help us with? And like, how are they going to take us from where we are to 10x that, you know? I think it's also important to find someone that you, you really resonate with. 
whether it's uh, what they do, their story, their background. Yeah, I think that's important too. Like just seeing, uh, seeing yourself with them kind of is important. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah, it's like and like, if they can see themselves in you as well, yeah, that's super important yeah. as well. Because then they're like, oh, you, you know, me when I was younger. Yeah, let me help you. Do you know? So I think we've we've touched on a lot of very good topics. Um, I would definitely be very open to a round two. <laughs> we need to get Ryan on as well. So um, do. Um, maybe we could do it via Zoom. Yeah, I think we could definitely do that. Just need to figure out some logistics. Um, but I want to end off the interview with one last question. Okay. So, um, if you if your younger self was standing in front of you right now, what advice would you give to him? Younger self, what age? What what stage? Uh, I think the, the when starting your journey, starting my journey. I would that maybe like when you're 12 and you're coding, like that's when you started or like maybe later, whatever you think is like. To be honest with you, probably right from the beginning is just have some more confidence in yourself. Mm. Like have a bit of, like as we say in the UK, back yourself. Mm. You may not know all the answers. You may not have everything figured out. You may not have all the details sorted, but just believe in yourself that you can do it and you can yeah i think that's it's very important because i remember a pivoting point on my journey was i didn't believe that i could be a successful entrepreneur because for example i had a tech idea right well i don't know how to code i don't know how to do this that, and that but what i came to realize is that i don't need to be i don't need to know how to do it in order for, to, for in order for me to believe that i can because yeah. it was just a belief that okay well i'll figure it out I'm going to find the right people. I, I can do this and I can do that. I may not know how to write in this moment, but I can find out how. So I think that's very important. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Well, thank you for coming on, Patrick. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great. Yeah. And I'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys. Bye.